Well, again, I am. I know I say this, and it probably sounds like I'm some uh, guy broken record saying it. I don't say it lightly. I love you. I do. I don't know why I'm not like this with people. I love. I love my church. I love the people. They just. They got my heart. But I love you. You caught my heart in November of 2019, and as I said. On Sunday night, you know, it's just, that's what happens. When somebody has your heart, you know, you know how it is. It, when they hurt, you hurt. When they rejoice, you rejoice. And, uh, and so I'm just honored beyond anything you can imagine to be with you. So tonight I want to share a message with you. I've titled it, and you're, it's a very familiar story. You know the story. It's about Jesus walking on water. We know that. But we've been talking about stepping into God's more. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take just a few minutes, and I've just titled it Stepping onto Storms and Into Miracles. Stepping onto Storms and Into Miracles. Um, before I get started, whenever we start talking about miracles, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of misunderstandings about, about that. In fact, I believe that many of us, I say, I'll say this, I don't know genuine believers who don't believe in miracles. Um, but I knew, do know a lot of genuine believers who don't really believe God's going to work them in their life. I know a young couple years ago, they, um, they were told the, the wife, she had had a, a sickness whenever she was a child, and, and uh, they were told that they couldn't have any children. And uh, they got married, though, knowing that that was a possibility, but they believed that God was big enough to go beyond that. And after about a, a year and a half of marriage, somewhere around there, uh, and to their delight, uh, she became pregnant. And man, they rejoiced. They just were so excited. And time came around for their child to be born. They had the child and uh, he was a little boy. He was born on a Saturday. They were so excited about this child. And um, back, this was a f several years ago, it's kind of like whenever my kids were born, um, the, the men didn't get to take off a lot of weeks, you know, it's kind of, you have the baby and then you go back to work for guys, you know, a lot of times. And so the, the husband on Monday morning went back to work and he hadn't been there long before a phone rang and, and, uh, he answered it and it was his wife. And she said, you need to come back to the hospital. There's something wrong. They came back immediately, you know, frantic. I mean, they were so excited about having this child and, and this little boy of everything, you know, they were so excited about it. And, and he gets there and the doctors had told her that in an examination that it, it looked as though that the child was blind. And uh, this young couple, I mean, their early 20s, they just, there together, the wife was there, they cried together and then they prayed, they asked God to heal that that little boy's eyes, and then they said this, though they said, but Lord, thank you for him, and, and if you choose not to heal his eyes, then we pray that you'll give us the strength to help him, whatever comes. The doctors went back, did more examinations, and came back, and to their joy, uh, they were told that the little boy's eyes are perfect. He can see perfectly, and they rejoiced. Now, let me just tell you, why that, I tell you that story, because that young couple was my mom and dad, and that little boy was me. And so I want you to know that I believe in miracles. 
And I want you to know that I believe that God, in fact, you heard me talk to you about what I do with my boys, and I've done it since they were little. I tell them about how they were brought up, the stories about the things that God has told me about them, to let them know that they are not just a product of some kind of evolutionary process, a random chance accident, but they have been fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who loves them and wants to walk with them. And I believe that that God wants to work in mighty ways in our lives. And so tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be looking at this story here about Jesus walking on water. And I just want to kind of set it up for just a minute because I know you know the story. But um, as we come to it, it's, it's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You know, if you were to ask people a story they might know in the Bible, they know about Jesus walking on water. That's one of them they know. Um, but, but the story begins this way. Jesus had fed the 5,000. You remember that? He'd fed the 5,000. And in that, if you were to go read it, the people began to get excited saying, we believe this is the king of Israel. And they decided they were going to by force take him and make him king. And Jesus knew this was happening. And so he knew that he needed to do some, make some drastic measures pretty quick. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, verse 15, it says this, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus knew that he needed to do something about it for his disciples to get them away because they were excited about that possibility. I mean, hey man, if he's going to be the king, what does that mean about their future? And so what does he do with them? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 14, Verses 22 and 23, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. In other words, he was trying to separate them from that dangerous idea because that was not why he came in that moment that way. And it says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. The trek across the Sea of Galilee is about a seven-mile trek. As a matter of fact, I've been there a few times, and you can actually see the other side. In fact, the side, you know, where the Gadarene area, you can see it from one side to the other. As they were going on that way, and this, is, this happens very common because the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountainous areas. And so what can happen is, you may have seen this happen before in other places maybe you've been, where out of nowhere, a storm will just come over a, a hill or a mountain and it'll hit. And when it hits, it can be violent. And, and this is what happened. And, and as it happened, they were already out a few miles out. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, it says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, in the parallel story of this, in Mark, it says this, in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. Jesus could see them out there and that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. There's some things that I want to share with you about this story and about this miracle of Peter walking on water. And, and as we come to it, I, want to, I, want to, I hope this will encourage you because I believe that there are many of you here, even now, that you honestly, you need a miracle. And all of us at times in our life have had times and will have times where we need a miracle. We need God to move in supernatural ways. 
But just write this down at the top of your outline. Does everybody have an outline? If, if you don't have one, raise your hand. Whistle. Give a woo-hoo. All right, everybody got one that wants one? <laughs> Some of you know you're saying, I don't have one, I don't want one. I understand. All right, just, just write this down. The discouraging pain of a stalling storm can become the stage for a miracle to form. No one likes storms. The stalls they bring into our life, the stalling things, you know, that all of a sudden we were moving along, just everything was going good, and all of a sudden the brakes go on. Those storms in life hit. We were, we were headed, we had our plans, we knew where we were going, and all of a sudden, bam, the doctor's report came. Bam, our spouse came and told us something or said something that broke our heart. You know, bam, the, 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 the boss came in and, and, and said something, and, and all of a sudden, everything starts unraveling around us. And, and what can happen, though, this is what I want you to see, is that the discouraging pain of a stalling storm can become the stage. This can become a stage for a miracle to form. Don't ever miss that. Because our God is, is, is not far off. He's not untouchable or unknowable or unconcerned about our days. He invades our natural fallen world with the supernatural work of his kingdom. That's what a miracle is. It's when our natural world is invaded by his supernatural work that comes from his kingdom. You know, whenever Jesus told us to pray, you remember how he said it? Pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you the crazy thing about that prayer. Gee, of course, Jesus told it, so I think it's probably important. Whenever he says, your kingdom come, did you know that whenever he says that, that's an imperative? In fact, the way it could be a great translation would be, kingdom of God come. And the next one is also an imperative. Will of God be done on earth as it is currently being done in heaven. Now, that's some powerful praying. I, that's not just something, you know, whenever I, I lived in Kansas City, we moved to Atlanta, and, uh, and I had a shock in my life because I played, my, we moved there my senior year in high school, and I played basketball and baseball there. And, and what shocked me was that I go in there, and I mean, it's a public school, and they are just as messed up as anybody. And we get in there before the game, and they start quoting the Lord's Prayer. And I am... Shocked. In fact, in baseball, before every game, the team would quote the Lord's Prayer. And I, I couldn't believe it. Now, let me just tell you, they weren't quoting it as meaningful and that it meant something. They were just going through it because that's what they had done. And uh, in fact, some of them, you know, made jokes in the middle of it. And then one guy turned to me one day after, before we were getting ready to play. He was our third baseman in baseball. And he turned to me, he says, he made some kind of joke in the middle of it. He said, you think I'm going to go to hell for doing that? And I said, I don't know, man. Let's just go play baseball. I didn't want to mess with it at that time. But, but what I want to say is that, that when Jesus says that, that's a command for us. It's a place that he wants to move in mightily, and he tells us to pray that way. So I want you to write this underneath that first statement. I want you to write this because this is for somebody today. Is just write this down. And I put it in first person because I want you to write it in, in a place where you could take it in ownership. 
and say this. It just says this. I am one faith step away from a miracle. I am one faith step away from a miracle. Now, I'm going to show you how to get there. But I want you to think about that. Two nights ago, I talked about, you know, those threshold moments, those threshold moments where we step. It's, it's in a similar way. It's that faith step. It's that, it's that step that we take that moves us from one place into another, that moves us from the mess of our life we're in into the miraculous movement of God. And it's a thing that God does. And, and, and so I'm just telling you, somebody is here and they're in that place. And so tonight I'm going to show you how to take those faith steps and how to step into what God has for you. So as we come to this story and we kind of move on in it, the first thing I want you to just put down as we are going through, kind of going through the, the, the story and what we're going to be looking at, I want you to write this down as under, with number one. First thing we need to do, step up to the power of Jesus that conquers all storms. First thing we need to do, we need to step up to the power of Jesus that conquers all storms. Step up to the power of Jesus that conquers all storms. Do you believe that Jesus can conquer all storms? Is there anything in your life that is too big for God? Anything in your life that's beyond him? No, we all know that. We know that's not there. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Here's the question that... that you must begin with, in order to, to, to begin those faith steps, here's the question, and it's real simple. Is your storm bigger than your Jesus, or is your Jesus bigger than your storm? Here's what I find that happens, and it happens to me, and it happens in our lives. We have something in our life, it could be a tragedy, it could be a difficulty, it could be a struggle, it could be anything, and, and, and we step into it, and Intellectually, we know it's not bigger than Jesus. But in reality, we live as though it is. And so, and so what happens is, is that we, we bring Jesus down. In fact, one of the dangers about being in, in the West and being especially in America, I, my, my wife's a nurse practitioner, so I am big on the medical side. Let me tell you, I mean, I, I understand it. I am for it. I'm not against it at all. But one of the dangers we have, and this is what I've told my church this many times, is that typically many Christians, they trust the doctors and they use God. And the Bible tells us to trust God and use doctors. We just have it a little backwards. I'm not saying don't use a doctor. I'm not, I'm not in, I mean, I don't believe that he would say that. Jesus himself said, it's the sick that need a doctor. But what happens is we put our trust in things that he says, you don't need to trust them. I like the fact that doctors don't say, we figured it all out. They say, hey, we're practicing. But God's not practicing. And so as we, as we come to this, we need to come to that place and, and, and step in and say, you know what? Whatever storm's going on in your life right now, it's not bigger than Jesus. Amen? So I want you to write underneath that number one, just write this, because this is your miracle, what I'm calling it your miracle measure. In other words, it's measuring in your life, is this 
is, is in my life, is Jesus bigger than, the, than whatever's going on, the storm that I find myself in? If you remember, those guys that were in the boat, at least half of them were trained fishermen. They were sea-going people. And they knew both how to go through and manage storms, but they also knew the dangers of storms. And as we come to this, when they, they were there, Jesus came walking on the water. Think about, whenever you think about God and think about him in this place. You remember whenever Mary, Jesus' mother, was told she would become pregnant, she asked this question, how can this be? Do you remember what the angel said to her? In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, he said this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Boy, that's a good verse to have right there. Think about whenever the rich young ruler was there and, he, and Jesus, he, he wanted to follow him and he says, but he says, well, this one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And he walked away sadly because he had great riches. And then they, he began to talk to his disciples and began saying things to them. And finally, they turned to him in shock and said, well, how can anybody be saved? And in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, he said this, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If you have doubting times in your heart, just be encouraged. Every great man and woman of faith had the same things. Think about Moses. Now, Moses had seen some pretty amazing miracles. First of all, he saw a bush that was on fire and it started talking to him. Now, that's pretty big. If I had that in my life, that's pretty much top on the list, right? But then he went beyond that and he goes and follows God. He gets into Egypt and God begins to work all of these amazing plagues on the people of Egypt at what he tells him to do. He sees that happen. Then he leads triumphantly the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they're going out, man, everything's great. And then all of a sudden it looks so dangerous. It looks so frightening. We don't know if we're going to make it. And they get, he, he, winds leading them, he winds up leading them into a corner where they've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got the Egyptian army behind them. They've got the desert to one side and mountains to the other. And they're all freaking out. And, he, and God says, listen, have faith. Step, you know, put your staff out there. And he puts his staff out. You remember what happened? All of us know the Red Sea parts. They walked through. I mean, those are pretty big miracles. And then they were hungry and he began to send manna. And once again, the people started complaining. They got sick of manna. By the way, have you ever looked and seen what manna is made of? It tells in the Old Testament what it is. I had a, a professor one time says, if you really take that and look at it, it's kind of what donuts are. So I've decided that donuts are from heaven, and I think it's okay to eat them. So just a thought on the side, you know. Anyway, um, angel food. So you can say angel food cake, I guess. But anyway, so as they were there, God, in that moment, he hears them complaining, and he says, okay. He says, okay. And in Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 through the first a part of verse 20, he says this. They want meat? Okay. And listen to what he says. And say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried, oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have meat to eat. And it won't be for just a day or two, 
or for five or 10 or even 20. You will eat, you will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. I want you to think about that. Quail for a whole month, 30 days. Now, my wife, I'll just tell you one of the things. You know, with boys, I love messing with boys anyway because they're my, they're my boy. That's what, I think that's a responsibility of a parent. And, um, and so my wife, whenever they would say they wanted something, they, you ought to talk, even today they would say it. We're growing up, we tell mom we like some kind of cereal, and she'd just buy that so much that I didn't want that anymore, you know. Well, in this, God's saying, okay, you want me? I'm going to give it to you for 30 days. Now, again, I told you before, I said I was a math major, right? So whenever I read this, I look at it, so we're going to just look, going to take a chalkboard, and we're going to think about this for just a minute, all right? So we're going to put down some numbers. So as we think about this, the first thing I want you to see is in this, on our chalkboard, we're just going to look at the fact that the Bible tells us there were 600,000 men, okay? See that? Didn't get up there? Yeah. 600,000 men. Now, if there were 600,000 men, just, I'm just going to take and round it off, there were probably 600,000 women. So we're going to add 600,000 women to this number, which comes out to be 1.2 million adults. Now, let me just tell you that for any sustainable culture to exist, there has to be a birth rate of 2.1. And you guys probably know this, that in the birth rate on any, anyone, and of course we know that the Israelites had a pretty high birth rate because the Egyptians were freaked out by how high it was. But just for the sake of just giving low numbers, all right? We're going to say that there were, there were two children for every two adults. So we're going to add another 1.2 million in that to have, have those in there, which brings us to a number of 2.4 million people, okay? That'd be 2.4 million people. Now, they're going to have three meals a day. So we need to take that 2.4 million people, multiply it by three, which comes out to be 7.2 million quail per day. Now you take that number, you multiply it by 30 days, and God just told them that he was going to bring 216 million quail for them to eat. Now let me just kind of help you with this, just to kind of give you an idea. In the United States, they estimate there's approximately 40 million quail every year. So it would take 5.4 years for, for all the quail in America to fill that order. So you can just imagine what Moses' response was. His response looking at this was incredibly rational. And now you're talking about the guy that had already had a bush talk to him. He'd already seen the Red Sea part. And in Numbers chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, it says this, But Moses responded to the Lord, There are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. In other words, foot soldiers mean they're going to eat a lot anyway. And yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month. Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? He understood the math numbers. 216 million is way too much. God, you're not, you're big, but you aren't that big, is what he's saying. I mean, I know you're a big God, but let's be reasonable. Listen to what question the Lord asked Moses. I think we could all learn from this. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 23, then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm 
lost its power? I want to ask you tonight. You need a miracle. Has God's arm lost its power? I mean, in here we know it, but in here. And listen, if you're struggling with it, it's okay. I mean, I, I, that, it encourages me to hear Moses struggle with that. And that means I'm in decent, com- decent company. So if you're struggling with that, it, 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 but it's a great question for us to ask ourselves because it's one of those things we need to look at, but we know he did it. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Is the Lord a God who could work mighty miracles in the Old Testament, but not in modern day America? Here's what I ask my people. Do you really think that God's power was greater before the coming of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as believers than it is that it could be now after we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? Do you see what I'm saying? Or, and, and this is what I have to deal, I'm, I'm not getting on to anybody. This is what I have to fight through in myself. I've had to, I've had to just make up my mind. Or do you read the, the stories in the Old Testament kind of like you're watching an Avengers movie? It's awesome and it's great, but it's not real. It's great entertainment. You see what I'm saying? But we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. We believe the stories are real and they're actual, and these were events that actually happened in history. We believe that. And if we do, has the arm of the Lord lost its power? And so as we come to this, we need to kind of think about the fact that Jesus said he saw them in their storm. He sent them to their storm. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then he began to walk. But listen to the way Mark says what he was doing. And I think this is awesome because in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says this. It says, he meant to pass by them. Now, I think that has a double meaning. I think, first of all, I mean, he could have chosen any place on the lake to walk. But he wanted to walk close enough that they saw him. He meant to pass by them. But also, what would have happened if they would have just not called out to him? I believe he'd have just walked on to the other side. Got over there and been sitting on the side. Well, about time you guys got here. He meant to pass by them. He he wanted them to see him in the mess they were in. Again, that discouraging pain of a a stalling storm can become the stage for a miracle to form. So we have to step up to the power of Jesus that conquers all storms. The second thing is this is the second part. I think this is important. Number two, step in to the peace of Jesus in the midst of your storm. Step in to the peace of Jesus in the middle of the storm, in the midst of it. All right? Let's go on and read our story. Has everybody written that? Okay, let's read our story. Beginning in verse 26 of Matthew 14. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, 
It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, do I have any Greek scholars in here? Anybody? No problem. We're going to have a Greek lesson for just a minute, if that's okay. All right? Be okay? We're going to have a Greek lesson because Jesus says something incredibly important in this moment. Whenever he said that, he wasn't just saying something. He was saying something incredibly important. As a matter of fact, the Greek here is, um, is the word. It's two words, and it's ego a me. Ego a me. As a matter of fact, if anybody's been in psychology, whenever Freud talked about the ego, that's it. Ego a me. And ego a me is a Greek statement, and it simply, literally means I am. Ego a me. You remember whenever Moses, I told earlier about that one story, but you remember the big story about him being at the burning bush? And he was there, and you remember, I, I love that story. If you ever get a chance to, to teach it to anybody, I love the way it starts off because the Lord ta- starts talking to him, and he says, here I am. He calls him Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. But by the end of it, he was said this. He said, send somebody else. <laughs> I thought, man, that's the way I find myself sometimes. You know. But in this, so, so Moses is talking to him, and then Moses asks him a question. Okay, you're telling me to go to them. But who am I going to tell them is telling me to go? I mean, I'm going to go there. And who's going to, who am I going to tell them? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. Here it is. I am has sent me to you. Now, I'm just going to give you another little quick lesson. And don't, I don't want to lose you, but just, you know, we're going to, can we just jump in the deep end and we'll come right back out? All right. So the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. I think many of you know that. Some Aramaic. But about 200 B.C., a lot of Jewish people weren't reading Hebrew very much anymore. And so there were 70 scholars in Alexandria, Egypt, that said, we need to take and give a good translation of it in, a, in the language that everybody used, and that was Greek. And so they... Get, they made a translation of the Hebrew Bible, and in those in seventy, it, it's now, it's called the Septuagint because of it's that's the word seventy, but they it's it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and it's a phenomenal translation. Matter of fact, there's copies of it that were found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were there and all of that, but in there, when you come to the Greek in 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 Exodus three fourteen, and you read where he says, "Tell them I am." has sent me, the Greek is ego a me. You tell them ego a me has sent you. Now, why is that important? Well, let me just tell you. I know I've heard people say, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. He claimed to be God so many times that the religious people tried many times to stone him, tried to take and we're going to throw him off a cliff. They were doing everything they could against him because he called himself that. But you know, in John, the gospel of John, you know that, that there's seven times that we, we call it the seven I am's in John. I think you guys are going through those. I think as a matter of fact, he calls himself, I am the bread of life. He's saying, ego a me. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. He calls him that, that self all these times. Let me tell you one of them that he calls himself that in John chapter 8, verse 
58 and 59 says this, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, ego a me, I am. And look at what it says that they did. These are religious leaders. They knew exactly what he was saying. He was calling himself God. It says they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. So in the midst of the storm, as the waves and the wind of troubles and turmoil are stalling our progress and frustrating our plans, we need to look for Jesus in the middle of it. You need to, you need to find out, say, where are you in the middle of this? Because I promise you he's there somewhere. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says this. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's not going to leave us to, our, to do the best we can. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, whenever he is there, his peace is always with him. That's why in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have storms. But he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So in the middle of your storm, you want to be looking for Jesus. He doesn't, he, he's not causing it, but he'll meet you in it. So I want you to write this down under number two. And just put, write this down, because this is your miracle, and what I'm calling it your miracle movement. This is that, that thing where, okay, faith is rising. Faith is rising. I, I'm, I'm starting to rise up in this. We've had the measure. How much do I believe? Now we're in this place of I'm getting myself ready to move. And so here's what I want you to write this down. This is something I, I tell our people this all the time. I've learned this in my life for 40 years of walking with the Lord, and it's simply this. Jesus wants to develop you in the storm more than deliver you from the storm. He'll deliver you. He wants to. I'm not saying he doesn't want to. I didn't say that. But you see what he's doing. You know what he's doing in your life. He's preparing you for eternity. As a believer, he is preparing you for an eternity to be with him. As the scripture says, these light and momentary trials have worked out for my good. That's the way Paul says it. Consider it all joy when you face various troubles because God is doing something big He's developing you. He's raising you up. I can tell you in my life, I've shed so many tears and so many difficulties and so many struggles in my life. And in the middle of them, I've wondered, God, are you anywhere around? But I've chosen to say, okay, you're here somewhere. And sometimes I feel like he's a ghost and he scares me in the middle of it. But you know what? He's there and he meets me there. And all of a sudden his peace comes in the middle of it. Let me give you the third one, okay? If we're going to take a faith step, I just want to give you this real quick. You see, faith sees Jesus in the storm, not as the storm. I'm not saying that, but in the middle of the storm. We have to go there. You can see we live in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, we're going to have tribulation. But he has won the victory, and we can find him in it. So, we started off by talking about step up to the power of Jesus. It conquers all storms. Step into the peace. But here's the last one, or the third one, not the last, but the third. We need to step out by the promise of Jesus 
to stand on your storm. There's going to come, this is, the, this is that, that moment, that, that faith step that's about to happen. So, so we believe in his power, and in the middle of the, of, of the storm, we, we, we embrace his peace. You know what I'm talking about in that, don't you? I mean, as a believer, you know what it's like whenever you're in the middle of a difficulty and all of a sudden, in here, you just sense a peace just comes over you. And it doesn't make sense. But it's the peace of God. But there comes that next step, and that is to step out. By the promise of Jesus to stand on your storm. Let's go on in in the story. 28 and 29, Matthew 14. And Peter answered him, Lord... If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Here's where everything changes for Peter. I want you to just think about this for just a minute. I want you to think about what's happening. There's a storm that's raging. It stalled the disciples. They're trying to get to the other side because that's what Jesus told them to do. And they're trying to get there, but boy, it's a struggle. For about six to eight hours, approximately, they've been fighting this thing. They've been fighting the wind and the waves. They're exhausted. Jesus comes walking on the storm, and and he just keeps walking along. It's not slowing him down. He's already caught up with them. And and they they all stop rowing. You can just imagine whenever you're just, I I can't even imagine what it's like to see. You're there, and all of a sudden, you just, you know, that, that shock of seeing some, maybe you've seen people walk on water. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. I've met people who think they walk on water. But I haven't seen anybody walk on water. So that would probably freak me out too. I would be there. And, and, and whenever we're here, and, and Peter in this moment is, is tired of fighting, and so he cries out, Jesus, I want to walk with you in the victory over this storm. I want to walk with you. And just write this down under number three, because this is the miracle moment. Can you just imagine? He says that, and the other disciples are going, what? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, come on. And can you, because I, I could see him do it. He just steps out. As a matter of fact, I've wondered, and I don't, I don't know. I'm not trying to make a statement. I just think whenever, after the resurrection, they're out in a boat, they're not catching any fish. Jesus on the shore, John says, it's the Lord. I wonder if Peter thought he was going to walk at that time, but he didn't. He just right in the water and swam. But anyway, in this moment, he is so focused on Jesus. He's, he just, that's what I love about him is, is he just stepped out. He had to get out of what was comfortable, out of of what was safe for him, out of what he knew to be normal for him. But he didn't step out in some kind of false presumption. That's one of the things. Some people mess up faith by, by equating faith with presumption. He's not presuming. Jesus told him to come. In other words, if Jesus would have said, no, you need to stay, and he'd have come out of that into the water, what would have happened? I'll tell you what he'd have done. He'd have sunk like an anchor. And so as we, as we look at this, we see that Peter steps out of the boat. I can just imagine the other 11 
as they look out, probably about that third step, they're just like mouths, you know, jaws drop. You know, I, I, I mean, it had to be amazing. I know I've given you this before, but it's one of my favorite passages in, in the New Testament about just the promises that God has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, talking about Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Our amen, that literally means for it to be so or to be true or to be, let it be so in my life. And so we know that we see Jesus walking on water and, and Peter says, if it's you, if that's you, tell me to come to be with you. And, and Jesus says, come, which means you're not going to sink, you're going to walk. And in that moment, that promise, he stepped out. But what would have happened if he said, well, come on? And Peter would have said, I didn't mean it that bad much. What would have happened? It wouldn't have happened, right? It wouldn't have happened. And so we have to see that. We have to know that. So just, again, this is just what I, as I'm, it's, I, I say it this way. The faith is not presumption. You know, and I've, I've heard that so many times. But secondly, faith is not believing in our faith. That's not faith either. Okay? I've seen people think, well, you know, if I just, you know, I've got to work that faith up. That, that's not even it either. Let me just, here's what I say. Biblical faith is stepping out into what we see the Lord doing and hear the Lord saying. That's what biblical faith is. It's what we see the Lord doing. Remember what Jesus said? I only do what I see the Father doing. That's John 5, 19. What I hear the Lord saying, that's what I want to step into. I don't go and make things happen. I listen to what the kingdom of God is doing because God is advancing his kingdom. I'm with him. I'm just a foot soldier in his kingdom. Jesus is the commander of this army. We don't go out here and go. I've seen so many believers just run out there headlong, and they're like the, the foolish soldier that just runs out into the, into the middle of the war and is not following the commander. But let me tell you, biblical faith is stepping out into what we see the Lord doing and hear the Lord saying. Now, there is a man that he's going on to be with the Lord. I've, I've had the privilege years ago to hear him preach a few times, and his name was Manly Beasley. And uh, these guys have heard me quote him so many times because I love his definition of faith. Manly Beasley was a man that six times was in the hospital with terminal cancer, told, told that he would not leave the hospital, but God told him he was going to heal him, and six times God healed him, and he left. As a matter of fact, when he came to our church, I was living in Oklahoma at the time, and he came to our church to preach. Literally, this is no lie, I'm not making this up. He was sitting up there, you know, kind of waiting for, to go preach, and he was chalky. And I mean, he looked like he was already dead, you know? I mean, it's just, he looked bad to me. But man, whenever he got up to preach, oh my goodness, the power of God on him. But he taught and preached on faith. And, and here's what he, he, this is his definition. And I'm going to give you time to write it down because I, it's just so, it's meant so much to me in my life. He says this, faith is believing something is so, even when it is not so. In order for it to be so, because God says it is so. Now, I'm going to give you time to write. I think it's up there. Yeah. Faith is believing something is so, even when it's not so. In order for it to be so, and here's the kicker, because God 
says it is so. Does that make sense? That's what faith is. I can tell you that through the years, that statement has helped me so much. It's helped me pray for people. It's helped me navigate the waters in my own personal life. You see, here's what I, I want to encourage you in this. It is okay. You know, I've already said this. To get the doctor's report. That's good. Get the doctor's report. But then you want to get God's report. Because whatever God's report is, that's truth. The doctor's report is facts. And I can't tell you how many times I've helped people through the years take, and if the facts that the doctor are, are, are telling you do not line up with the truth of what God has told you, you pray for the truth to overtake the facts. That's what brings miracles. That's how you pray. You're praying over the certainty of what God says. But you just make sure God has told you that in your spirit. He spoke that into your life. But as we look at this and, and we see this, we, we come to this place that Jesus says to, to Peter. Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come. If Jesus said, don't come, he shouldn't go. But when Jesus said, come, that in that moment, Peter had something that he had to do in that moment. Either he was going to step out in faith, that faith step, or he wasn't. That's simple. It's that simple. But when he did, he did something that, best of my knowledge, only two people have ever done in the history of mankind. Jesus and Peter. He started walking on water. I want you to think about it. It wasn't like he was walking on a glass. So, you know, some people say, oh, here's what was happening. He was walking and they talk about, you know, that. he was in the middle of a storm. I don't know if you've seen it, but I mean, waves are crashing. I can just imagine as he's walking, there's a wave that comes up and Jesus either went up or may have been on the other side of it and down and he's there walking. And I can just imagine it may have been a little bit uneasy to walk on it. It was in the middle of a storm. So as we come to this and we see this, we want to say, okay, God, I'm in, I'm in. I'm ready to step in. So, so as we move on, we step up to the power of Jesus that conquers all storms. We step into the peace. In other words, in the middle of it, just say, God, I, I receive your peace in this. And then we step out, and this is it, by the promise of Jesus. So whatever he said, that's what we step out in, okay? There are times whenever the Lord doesn't say anything. If he doesn't say anything, I've had many, many times in my ministry where people have been, had sicknesses and they've had struggles, and, and I'll ask them, I say, well, is God saying anything to you? And if he's not saying anything, I'm going to still pray for healing. I'm still going to pray for the miracle. I'm going to still, because I believe in God's mercy. But if he ever gives them a word, I join in immediately. I step right in there with them. But the last thing is this thing here. Number four, step toward the presence of Jesus until he calms your storm. Step toward the presence of Jesus until he calms your storm. This is why he does miracles. Let's just read the story beginning in verse 30 through verse 32. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith. I think about that sometimes. Little faith can walk on water. 
You may say, well, you know what? I wish I had that much faith. You do. A little faith can walk on water. Why'd you doubt? And when they, and listen, I love this last part. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So just put this down under number four. This is the miracle meaning. This is the meaning of the miracle. This is the, the meaning of it. This is what it's about right here. I want you to listen to what happens. The other 11 that were in the boat just minutes earlier thought they were seeing a ghost. They were worn out trying to get to the other side. They were struggling. They didn't know if they were going to make it or not. They see this ghost, they think, and then Jesus, hey, it's me. You know, I'm sure they're still freaked out. And then Peter says, hey, that's you. I want to come to you. So come on. He jumps out, and now their jaws are dropped. The waves are still going. I'm sure they're still rock. The boat is rocking. It's still doing this. And Jesus takes Peter and picks him up, and they start walking back. And then both of them climb into the boat. And as soon as they do, it just becomes calm. The wind stops. The waves stop. The sea turns into glass. And what was their response? Look at what Matthew chapter 14, verse 33 says. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's why God works miracles. Not to make our life easier, but to, to receive the glory. Let's do his name. This, I just made this statement. The miracle meaning is never about calming the storm, but about knowing and worshiping Jesus. That's what miracles are for. He doesn't work miracles so that the preacher can begin, get a bigger name for himself. He doesn't work miracles so that your life can be easier. He doesn't work miracles so that, you know, we can all talk about the miracles. It's okay to talk about the miracles. There's nothing wrong with that. Rejoice in them. They're great testimonies. He works the miracles because he is great and, and he wants his name to be made famous. That's why he does it. For those people that you know that have their jaws dropped whenever the report comes back that your little three-day-old son can see. It's not so that, whew, man, but it's so that we can worship and know that he loves us and he cares for us and that he is God. You are God. John chapter 17, verse 3 says this, as Jesus said, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Philippians 3.10, you guys know this. The cry of Paul's heart, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Are you in the middle of a stalling storm? All of us hit them. You may have just come out of one. You may be in the middle of one. But we all know that's the world we live in. 
We just do. But I want to encourage you in this. It's those stalling storms that are the opportunities for miracles to form. And if he doesn't work the miracle, to God be the glory. If he works the miracle, to God be the glory. Either way, God be glorified. For many years, I was in Atlanta, or in Alabama. Uh, whenever I first went in the ministry, I was 33 years old and uh, was at a church there and uh, was the associate pastor for 12 years. And I remember I'd been there, I don't know, just a few years. And we get a call and a um, young family in our church, they had a little 18-month-old girl that um, she had a, a hole in her heart and um, they rushed her to the emergency room. It was bad. And so I get there. Our pastor comes there. And there's a bunch of people in the, you know, the, the, you know that room, the family goes in, the, you know, and they're all there and they're worried and upset and crying and praying. And, and so we get there. And, um, and so while we're there praying, man, I, all I can tell you is that the Spirit of God just came on me. And I prayed, and I knew when I was praying that God was releasing healing. I just, I, I knew it in here. I didn't know it here. I knew it in here. And I remember Steve, the pastor, and I were walking out. Neither one of us wanted to talk. We just walked like, you know, didn't even want to say anything to each other. And he just, all he did, didn't even look at me. He just said, God just healed her. I said, I know. We walked out. Sure enough, he healed her. They were in our church, I, you know, in, in, in a large, it's a large church. I saw them from time to time, but didn't really keep up with them. I left. Years passed by. I'm, in, I'm at Crossgates, and a, a family member had someone die there at that church in Alabama, and they asked if I would come and do the funeral. And so I go back, and one of the guys on my staff goes with me. We go back, and I, I get there, and I'm just meeting people. And I haven't seen many of them for, I mean, like 15 years. I mean, I haven't seen them in a while. And, and this girl walks up to me, and she says, you don't know me, but I was that girl. I was 18 year, I'm 18 years old now. But my mom and dad told me about how you prayed, and she thanked me. And we gave God the glory. God works miracles. I wish I could tell you, every time I've prayed for people, they've been healed. But they haven't. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of healings and miracles in my ministry. But I've also seen many, many people die. And here's the decision I made. My job's not to heal. My job's to pray. I'm going to do my job, and I believe God will do his. And that's the only way I know to do it, guys. I had a, my pastor friend that I, that I just told about, Steve. He pastors a large church right now, and um, he's a great guy. But um, he asked me one time, um, he said, David, he said, you know, because he was at a church, that another church he'd gone to, that just they really struggled with praying for people to be healed because, you know, well, should we do that? And is it, you know, that. 
And so he was talking to me about it, and I just said this. I said, Steve, I want to ask you this. Do you believe that everybody that comes down and says they want to get saved, do you believe that all of them always get saved? He said, no. I said, but then why do you give an invitation? It's because I believe some do. I said, so you give an invitation knowing that some come down aren't, aren't serious. They're not gonna, probably not going to give their life to Christ. They're just praying a prayer, but some get saved. He said, yeah. And I said, well, that's the same way I look at healing. I'm going to pray for people. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray and believe for the miracles. We're going to ask God to be a big God in their life. And when he does, we just worship him and rejoice and have hallelujah moments. And when he doesn't, we cry along with them, but we still encourage them that God is big. Amen? I want to encourage you that it's time in our lives, and you may be in the middle of a storm, and that if you'll listen to God, if you'll look and see Jesus, and you'll ask him, If he says to go and step on your storm, just by faith, take that faith step. Amen? Let me pray for us. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.